0: Welcome back to another episode of I-1-2, the podcast that spotlights important role players from your favorite professional teams and their journey to becoming a champion. I'm your host, Ed Miller, and for the first time, we're leaving the United States and making our way up to Canada, this time to focus on the Calgary Flames. With names like Lanny McDonald, Al McInnes, Theron Fleury, and Joe Newendike. The Flames had plenty of talent during the late 1980s and put it all together in 1988-89 to win the franchise's first ever Stanley Cup, beating the Montreal Canadiens as the only visiting team to win it all at the Montreal Forum. This week's guest was an important piece of that puzzle. As an undrafted defenseman from Ohio State University, he tallied eight goals and 19 assists that season and added three goals and six assists in the postseason. He spent 16 years in the National Hockey League, with stints on Calgary, Toronto, and Detroit, where he managed to win his second Stanley Cup at the tail end of his career. He has a ton of great stories, so I want to jump right into it. Let's talk to today's guest, Jamie McCowan. How were you first introduced to the game of hockey?
1: You know, I was uh, born in, uh, in Ontario, Canada, and uh, like most Canadians, that the first thing you do is you learn how to hold a hockey stick. Sometimes it's those little mini sticks that you used to find. And, uh, and I just started to skate, and I had an older brother that played hockey. I had a younger brother that ended up playing hockey. All three of us got scholarships into the United States, but anyways, uh, you know, where I grew up, you know, everybody played hockey if you could. And, uh, in the summertime you played baseball, you played soccer, you did, you know, whatever you, you ran around and tried to catch frogs. We know the whole deal, the whole meal <laughs> deal.
0: Growing up just outside of Toronto, were you exposed to Maple Leaf Gardens much? I mean, did you get a chance to take in some NHL games? Yeah. You know, I didn't
1: see that many games. I mean, uh, Toronto is like, you know, the big city in Canada. It still is the big city in Canada. So lower lower Ontario has about, uh, I don't know, 15 million people now. But even back then, when you're in the old Maple Leaf Gardens, it, hel- it held about, uh, you know, 16,000 people and they were on season tickets and every ticket was basically season's ticket. So, um, you know, you'd hear stories and it's true because I end up playing there uh, you know, where people you know guys that that uh, had the tickets were like hundred and twenty years old, right? because they, <laughs> they they had died and uh, the tickets had just been continued to be paid by the family and they just kept sending the tickets out to wherever it was. So getting tickets was was very tough. And uh, you know, I probably saw over the course of my uh, my young uh, time out there, I probably saw about 10 games maybe total. Did you get to see any of that uh,
0: late '60s dynasties? Those last couple of cups.
1: Well, you know what? I was born in '61. Um, I don't think I saw my first game until I was about uh, eight or nine years old. So it would have been right in there in that uh, '68, '69. But uh, not going to try to pretend that I know exactly <laughs> what I was seeing. I uh, things that stand out, like I you mean, know, and people nowadays will be horrified. But the old stadiums and probably the same way with the baseball stadiums and the football stadiums before when you went into the men's uh washroom, you know there'd be like two stalls and then there'd be these giant troughs where people would have to go to go washroom and uh I'll never forget going in there in the between periods because we didn't want to miss any of the game, but everybody's rushing into the washroom to go to the and i'm you know I'm at whatever three and a half feet tall or something. And people are literally peeing right over top of my oh, that's head. Horrifying. <laughs> I know you must know what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. And, and women can't understand how, how we could even do that. But, uh, that's one of the things I thought about. I remember getting a hot dog at the game and having a pop. And, uh, that was back when you, I didn't get too many pops in my day. So, uh, that was as exciting, a uh, part of the game as anything. And, but it took us, uh, about an hour hour and 20 minutes to get down to the game and uh so it was you know especially back then it was it was it was a trip right it's not like it is now where people just seem to hop in their car and drive two hours anywhere that Mm -hmm. back then you know the family had one car it's a whole experience uh, yeah it really was it was uh, it was and it was fun
0: what was it that drew you towards defense i know you were a little bit of a smaller size coming up so what was it that, that kind of got you motivated to play defense
1: Selfishness actually, because, um, when in my small town, when I first moved into my town of Newmarket, we were about uh 11,000 people, I think it was, and so all the teams, you know, basically the, they called them the traveling teams or the all star teams, but um, if you made one of those, they always had three lines of forwards and two sets of defensive pair, right? So, and then two goalies. So right away, I figured, you know, if I'm a defenseman, I get to play every second shift. If I'm a forward, I'm playing every third shift. So that's literally how I became a defenseman. And I remained a defenseman all the way through until my, uh, I think it was my first year of midget. I'm not sure how they classify him in the States now, but my first year of midget. And I was just so small compared to everyone else. I was still like four foot eight, four foot nine. And everybody's five, 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 seven, six foot. And my coach just said, like, you're going to get hurt playing back there. We just got to move you up. So I moved up for one year, learned a little bit of what it's all like to be a winger. And then, uh, you know, just for for luck or whatever, I grew a few inches and the coach was willing to put me back on defense the next year.
0: Well, you played four years in juniors and then you wound up heading to the, the United States. You mentioned Ohio State. Was it common for Canadians to kind of head down to the U.S. for an education as well as for hockey? You know what? The... The big push still, and maybe even still today, but
1: definitely not near as much, is that if you're a good player and you have that, uh, and what I'm talking about a good player, someone that you believe is going to be drafted in the first round or the second round, it's, it's, it was almost always automatic that you went to Major A. You know, you, you, so you go to Major A when you're either 16, 17, or maybe even 18, and then you play one or two years there, you get your drafted, and then hopefully you go into uh, the minors and then the NHL. But again, with my size, uh, and I, I was a slight player, you know, I think the most I ever played, well, it sounds like a lot of weight now, but uh, I, I played in the NHL at 192 pounds, and uh, it took me a long time to get there, right? And uh, so my family and i we just thought about it. i was a i was always one of the better players on the team but because i wasn't a large man i never was that guy right i decided i had good grades and i decided that uh, i was going to go uh you know to the states route and and have four you know theoretically four years of paid paid schooling and maybe a chance to get a little bit bigger and uh, you know i never really thought about making the nhl and, you know, the funny thing is I get, I get down there. My second year at Ohio State, we're beating a team from Chicago, like 11 nothing in the second period. And I'm uh, carrying the puck up, and some little kid gets in front of me. And when I say little kid, I mean whatever he was from Chicago. And instead of hitting him, I put my hand out so I don't hurt him. At the last second, he sees me, goes, drops down on his knees, flips me over his, his back, And I, I blow my knee out full, full reconstruction. Right. And I go, you know what? Never again, never, ever again. But you know what? In hindsight, it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me because I was just always like a naturally gifted player. I could play soccer and baseball and tennis and all these other good things. But I never really, as you hear about stories now, you know, playing, you know, eight hours, ten hours a day playing basketball, you know, t- you know honing things or, or going out and doing that. I just went from sport to sport and enjoyed life. And so because I blown my knee out, I had to really work hard to get back into shape. And the first game back, I think we were playing against Michigan. And I, uh, I, I was up there and and uh, I picked up some kid and kind of threw him against the boards a little bit. And, it, and the glass broke and everything else. And uh and I went, Oh geez, didn't mean to do that, right? You know, and uh and anyways the coach at the end of the game comes up to me and says, You gotta give me until Christmas and I'm going like what are you talking about? Like he goes, Give me until Christmas before you turn pro. And I'm going, like, What do you mean turn pro? And he goes, All the scouts up there, there were there. the kid that you actually picked up, they were the that's the one they were scouting. And you picked him up and <laughs> threw him into the boards and he went through the glass and so he says, Now they're scouting you. I literally, that was on like a Friday night. I had to play the Saturday night as well. And then, you know, back in the day, you might not even believe this. There was no cell phones and stuff. And so I I literally, you know, couldn't wait to call my parents on a Sunday when it was cheap, right, because, you know, even though it was a scam, but that was the cheap time you called.
0: And I told my parents what had happened. They were all like, what? NHL? Like... Are you sure? You know, well, you mentioned scouts. Is it true that the game after you blew your knee out that there were scouts that had come down to, to watch you play to see what, kind of what your game was?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I I don't bring that up as much because I never really believed it at the time, but I was sitting in the in the in the arena and uh, the, the arena at Ohio State was uh, very small. It was an old just because it's just an ice rink and at a maximum held at the time. Uh, you know, 900 people, right? It was it was fun to play in because everybody was right in front of you and everybody was on you in you know yelling in your ear. But uh, it's not like the new stadium. I mean, the stadium they have now, the Blue Jackets play that, right? I mean, it holds 18,000. What like what a difference? But yeah, literally, there there was about four four men came by, and I'm sitting there up in the stands with a full cast on my knee. They go, "Are you McCowan?" And I go, uh, "Yes, sir." It's like, uh, <laughs> what happened to you? And I go, oh, I hurt my knee. I We could tell that. What happened to you? And I go, oh, uh, a medial, medial collateral, anterior cruciate, uh, some cartilage damage. And they go, oh, all right. Well, give us a call. If you ever get better, sort of thing, right? <laughs> and because uh, they basically said, we're, I'm done. Right. And uh, I was going
0: to say, that's a death sentence back then, sports wise, right? Yeah. If you blow out your knee, you're pretty much done.
1: No. And uh, the doctor, and I, I'll never forget this guy's name, Dr. Underfirth, he's the doctor that operated on me. And he's the one who used to do the uh, Cleveland Browns and, and, and the Bengals. Uh, he, he specialized in the knees. And uh, he even told me at the time, he goes, you know, every seven or eight years now, you're going to probably have to get tweaked on and worked on. And I'm going, like, Oh, okay. That's I'm okay with that. And he goes, and, and he goes, and no hockey, right? Like you're done. I'm going like, okay. And I kind of gave him a wink. <laughs> we'll see who's done. And uh, it's like
0: telling a kid you can't have dessert at, like after dinner, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, you do they're going to find a way to have dessert. And I literally, I literally stayed that summer. I mean, that spring I, I, I had to obviously. they had some new ideas back then. And what they did was after five days of having this major surgery, they put me in a, into a hinge cast. And so literally your knee would, would move. And if you, if you stubbed your toe, it would bend your leg and stuff. And, and they said they did that for a purpose. Cause they said, people that have that uh, a particular surgery tend to baby it too much. And it's like months before they actually move it. And so after like day six, it's being moved and uh, you're, you're forcing yourself. And I mean, it was, it was a little painful. I gotta be honest with you, but, uh, Obviously, the doctor knew what he was doing, and uh, but I worked out for the first time ever. Like I did squats. Uh, we Ohio State's such a big school, and they have this center where the football players primarily work out, but any other sports guy can work out there as well. And I had another guy that from Northern Ontario that was staying down, and uh, so we would go out and do you know bench press and squats and and do some runs and stuff. And it's the first time, like I said, I, I, I it sounds stupid, but here I was you know, 20, turning 20 years old, and I had never really worked out, and that was, me, that was the only reason I made the NHL, because I finally worked out, finally got into that athletic shape I should have been in to be a pro player, and uh, I took that next leap.
0: Well, you were ruled ineligible to play during your junior year after apparently missing a class. Was the writing kind of already on the wall that you were going to start making a transition to the NHL at that point, or, or did it just kind of happen by habit stance?
1: No, no. I mean, and I, and I don't want to say this too loud, eh, because, <laughs> but the reality was as soon as I knew that I had a chance to play and uh, the coach was uh, was kind of telling me some hints of which teams. And I go like, is it one team? It's, no, it's like there's like five, six teams that are looking for you. He says, you're definitely going to sign a, an NHL contract. So as that, as that, you know, season went along, I just worked out harder and harder and harder and I more or less made the choice that, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to turn pro at Christmas and, you know, I can always come back to school because I kind of knew how it worked that they would give you a signing bonus, which would pay for my schooling if I ever had to come back. As it turned out, the Calgary Flames, part of the, part of their deal was for as long as I wanted to, if I wanted to go back to school, they would pay for me to go back to school. And they'd pay me more than I was making, when I say making, uh, I was getting $300 a month to go to school to pay for my books and my whatever, my food. So you weren't making any money there. You were losing money. But the the team all of a sudden said, yeah, we'll give you $500 uh, a week to go to school. I'm going like. What like five hundred a week? I I get three hundred a month. What are you talking about? And so that was all part of my contract when I was leaving. So, yeah, uh, yeah. The reality is, I uh, I just at the near the end, I I just knew, knew it. And the coach and I had talked a few times, and I said as soon as Christmas hits, I'm declaring myself for you know to be to be I, well, it wasn't be drafted, but uh, to be to be available. And uh, as soon as I did that, I had a number of teams call me and uh and calgary flames was one of the teams and uh they were the ones what
0: drew you to calgary i know you said like you said you had several teams that were interested so what was it about calgary that you found most enticing
1: well you know the islanders had 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 talked to my coach and there had been a little bit of talk about me going there and and uh winnipeg jets the original winnipeg jets and and uh But, and there's a few other teams, but I was looking at like the Islanders. I mean, they were at the time, they were the Stanley cup champions. And I'm going like, what are the chances I have to make that team and stay up? Right. Like, you know, uh, you know, I, I figured, you know, at least I want to have a chance to prove myself. And uh, unfortunately, most, most people that come out of uh, college at the time, anyways, they send them to the minors first and then you'd work your way up. And I just said, you know, I don't want to go to the minors. And so, the Calgary Flames uh, flew me into uh, into where was I, St. Louis, because they were having a game in St. Louis. I got a chance to meet the general Manager, the Assistant General Manager, you know all, all the good, and they were all such nice people. To this day, I'm still friends with all of them. They were just such good people, and uh, it reminded me of a small town atmosphere. And then I had a chance to watch a game in the old Checodrome, and then afterwards they took me to meet the players they had made basically said all the players are going to be in this one particular restaurant and you're going to meet a guy that we're recruiting. And, uh, so I got to meet, you know, Lanny McDonald was there and, uh, and Kent Nielsen and, you know, some Guy Chouinard guys that you may or may or not know. And so I got a chance to meet some of these guys and every single one of them was nice. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, and so I went home and then, you know, the next day they were driving me to the airport and I, they said, well, let's let's talk. We haven't talked contract yet. And I said, well, you know, I was thinking I should go home first and stuff. And they said, well, here's something to think about. And at the time it was huge money, right? It was my first salary was going to be based on people on your podcast. will laugh. My first salary was based on one hundred thousand a year. But I was only going to get half a year uh, and I got a twenty five thousand dollar signing bonus and uh, like twenty five thousand. I've never had twenty five thousand. That's crazy money. And um, you know, I, I mean, again, I laugh at today's money, but uh, it was huge money. And then he he basically said, and then we'll sign you for the next three years. After that, back then it was always like two plus an option, right? And the team had the option or three plus yeah. an option. So I so quickly I calculated in my head. I said, okay, so I'm guaranteed X amount of dollars, and they're going to guarantee that I stay up for the first year. And if I have to go to the minors, um, uh, I was going to get paid. And uh, I Was said, that
0: something on your end or their end? Because well, you mentioned not wanting to play in the minors. Was that something that you were dead set on? Yeah. Or did that, was that something they approached you with?
1: No, that was one thing that I said for sure. I said, I'm not I'm not coming to Calgary and uh, doing all this stuff without having a chance to show you what I'm all about. You know, the interesting thing was uh, – the, I don't know. If you, they just—they literally just tore it down about a month ago. The uh, the old corral, which was kind of remind me from going from the the Ohio State ice rink, it's called technically. And then I went to the corral where they literally in the, in the summertime they used to put cattle in there for the stampede and stuff. It was just like mind blowing. But uh, and then I go into this—I shouldn't say shack. I went into this like four uh, trailer. That were all been put together like you'd see at a school, right? You know the 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 outside ones that they call them, and that's where the their their whole team, or excuse me, not the team. That's where all the the administration was done right there, and they only had like twenty one people in their whole administration. And uh, but literally, we came up with all the numbers, and I shook their hand as I left the uh, the car, and got on the plane and flew back to Toronto, and basically said. I look like I'm going to go to Calgary. And uh, I told my parents what was going on, and they, they've always get, let me do what I wanted, maybe too much, to be honest with you. Uh, they, you know, you make your own mistakes, and uh, I made a few. You know, obviously, growing up in Canada, they were very proud to have a, a, a member of the family in the NHL.
0: What still stands out in your mind about that first game? It was a, a tie against the Quebec Nordiques.
1: Jumping onto the ice, to be honest with you, I was telling you about the corral, and uh and all that stuff at you know in the corral the 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 boards are like a foot taller okay so any other rink in the in the league right now is all the set amount i don't even know what it is it's probably you know 40 inches or whatever it is um but that one was sitting at like 60 inches it's and or maybe not quite that whole because the, the the cattle and and the steers and that would go in there and uh what you noticed was the visiting team, every visiting team for every game I played in the crowd, they'd have guys jumping over and fall. And, the, and, and the Just reason they that, weren't used to it, they weren't used to it. Cause you, <laughs> in your mind, you've already programmed yourself. You're jumping and everybody jumps over the boards and you jump over the boards and you knew that it's going to be like half a second and your, your feet are hitting. Right. And they'd go half a second. They'd go to put their feet out and there, there's no ice. Right. Or something. Maybe half a second is a little high, but like, Every team would fall, but, you know, and, and, and I, all I remember is I was playing and, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty mind boggling to be going, you know, like from Ohio state, which is, you know, it's pretty good hockey, but then you've made that step. You've blown by, you know, the minors and you've gone right up into the NHL. And, um, you know, I remember, t- remember taking a shot, uh, you know, kind of a pass shot, and I was admiring that shot pretty good. And someone just came along and clocked me, right? <laughs> Didn't hurt me, but uh, you know, I, was be- I was behind the net and like going back and forth. And I passed it up, and I'm going like, right on the tape. I'm thinking, great job, Jamie. What a great passer I am. And then
0: this guy came. <laughs> admiring your oh, work. Yeah,
1: and then somebody admired <laughs> knocking me down, and I my helmet uh, almost fell off.
0: Well, you mentioned growing pains. Um, when you arrived at Calgary, the, the team was only a few years old, having come from Atlanta in 1980. Was, that, was it tough to come to a franchise that was still kind of in its infancy?
1: Well, to, for me, it, it didn't really matter. Um, I've never been one of these guys that's really focused on the history per se. I, all I wanted to do was one thing, is, is like, I got to prove to this team that I belong. And, um, they put me with a a gentleman, uh, Richie Dunn, uh, who unfortunately passed away a number of years ago. And, uh, you know, he'd been playing for Buffalo and it came across, He had a lot of years under his belt and he's trying to explain to me how things go. And the hardest thing was trying to explain to him, I don't play the way you play. Like you've got this style that you play, which nothing wrong with it, but I was more of a, just go like run around like a, a madman. Right. They used to, call the, I had a nickname called crazy legs, right. Cause they, they didn't know where I was going half the time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I would, I would run around and I'd skate and I'd get caught up the ice behind the, the wrong bench and, or the wrong net and skate back as hard as I could. And it got to the point where people just laughed at me when I was up the ice cause you know, they go, well, 50, 50, he's getting caught up ice. Right. And then he'll have to make it back. But that's just the way I played. And, um, you know, that's, you know, until I got into my double digits in years, um, I still played that way. And, uh, so it, it it was fun though, but you know, the, the biggest difference was when I went back to Ohio state to go to school after my first half year and I get the phone call and, Oh, we've made some trades and I'm going like, Oh my gosh, I've been traded already. It's like, how, how did this happen? And, um, he goes, no, no, we've traded away, you know, Richie Dunn, and we traded away. And then the next year, I think we traded away, uh, I'm trying to think of who else, uh, Pat Ribble, which is another guy. So all of a sudden, I'm going like, well, we only had seven defensemen, and they've traded away two of them, and I'm still here. So, like, I made the team. Like, I'm back on the team. And uh, the, the no, I should. I was going to say the funny thing. It's not funny, really. But the, the very next training camp, we come in there, and there's a young kid out of the minors, and he knows my name. I mean, I don't have a clue who he is, but he knows my name, and I've only played 26 <laughs> games. But he knows my name, and he had got kicked in the skate uh, with a skate in the mouth and cut himself for about, you know, oh jeez, 80 stitches over his lips and stuff. It was it was terrible. Wow. But he he grabs my arm as I'm walking by in the in the medical room, and he goes, Jamie, Jamie. I, you know, first of all, I'm surprised he even knows who I am, and then he goes, Well, how, how's it look? How, how's it look, right? Because he hasn't seen a mirror yet. And I go, and I'm looking, and I go, I get real close to him. I go, you know what? That must have been a skate. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I said, nice, clean cut. And I said, you'll hardly notice it. These doctors are unbelievable. And I walk out going, holy Christ, that's a bad <laughs> cut. It's like, I don't even know who it was, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, and Calgary is a city. That's the maybe the thing that people uh, uh, don't understand is nowadays it's it's $1.3 which is still small compared to a lot of uh, American cities, but at the time we were four. When I moved in here, we were four hundred. I think four hundred twenty-five thousand people, and Edmonton up the road was 460,000. and like sixty thousand. So the
0: two big cities in Alberta were didn't even make up a million people, right? What was it like that first game in the Saddledome? Because it was almost double the capacity, correct?
1: Uh, even more so. You know the corral used to have, if you can believe it, at the top of the seats. And they had, like, high seats, let's say, behind you, where there'd be about four feet of wood. And then you could stand behind it. And what they did there, because of the NHL team coming in, in the arena, the big arena was just being built, they had marked out spots behind this wall, if you want to call it. So if you were, like, four foot, you couldn't see the game. But if you were, like, five foot and up, you would stand the whole game and watch the game. And it was it was situated where, like, it was like uh, like a zigzag. So... One would be on the boards, two would be back, three would be on the boards, four would be back, and so it would hold about seven thousand people with like over a thousand people standing. And then you moved over to Saddle Dome, and we were we were sixteen thousand, I think five hundred, but they had a couple of uh, thousand seats that they used for the Olympics as well. But the team wasn't sure that they should open those up for the uh, NHL because we were only you know four hundred and thirty thousand people, but what like what a difference! I mean, first of all, first class uh, dressing room, the the area that we got changed in, and they had some workout equipment and not much back then, but they had some back then. It was it was like three times bigger than just our our, our old uh, you know the arena uh, or excuse me the dressing room in the corral. So it was like night and day. Like there's no difference bigger than what we saw from going from the corral to. I mean I don't know if you've ever been to the Checker Dome did you ever see the Checker Dome in St. Louis No that was that was also worth the price of admission the, the visiting team would go in and you could only put about 12 players in in a in a room so you'd have two connecting rooms with big cement you know urinals and it's just terrible and they had a big square A block taken out in each room so that they could go in and hose the whole place down and the water would drain out It was it was unbelievable,
0: but they were different times. Oh,
1: yeah, it was just
0: Well, let's jump into the uh, the Battle of Alberta Let's start with in your third season uh, Mark Messier broke your cheekbone It led to a little bit of a a rivalry between the two of you In fact, one of the top clips on YouTube if I search your name is a fight between you and Mark Messier Can you describe the relationship you had with him both on the ice and off the ice?
1: I fucking hated him. Right. Like, and I hated the, I hated the whole team to this day. I hate Edmonton. Right. And, um, and everybody that played for Calgary that had to play against Edmonton hated Edmonton and everybody in Edmonton hated Calgary. You know, that's the problem. It's kind of like, well, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, you know, two, two teams in the same state and us were in the same province. Like they were, they were a couple of years ahead of us for, as far as getting, uh, their team, uh, going the right direction. Um, they also were fortunate enough, in two years, they drafted five guys that all made the Hall of Fame. You know, they had Paul Coffey and Glenn Anderson and Mark Messi and, and uh, Gretzky, of course. And uh, who's the other one? They ha- and there's another one in there. Uh... Anyways, but the point being is they had some superstar players. And they also had Grant Fuhrer and Net. Uh, and we had a really good team. And for about five or six years, Calgary and Edmonton were the two best teams in the league, right? The teams out east would be, oh, they're piling up points on each other. Uh, they'd be playing against somebody else. You know, St. Louis would be in last place or whatever. And then they'd come out to Calgary and uh, or Alberta. And they used to call Alberta Death Valley because they would get beat up and they would lose like 7-1, to one, right? And yeah. they and they'd go, oh, wow, like if we can just get to LA and get a game and we'll win a game, right? Cause the smite division back then was good, but Calgary in everything in the football and, and, uh, and hockey and anything. I mean, like who's got the best arena, who's got the best building, who's got the best zoo, who's got, you know, like they hate each other. Right. And it, it's, it's fun. Uh, since then I've had a chance to get to know quite a few of the guys from Edmonton doing charity stuff between the two cities. You know, we're going to do one in August, a golf tournament where we're going to have about 15 uh, NHLers and ex-NHLers from Edmonton versus 15 out of Calgary. And they're going to raise, you know, a couple hundred thousand or or half a million dollars. Right. But make no mistake about it. You went on that ice and the idea was kill or be killed. Like it was it was vicious. And even to the point where we would have a tub of uh, what do they call that stuff? Vaseline. You'd have a tub of Vaseline and, you know, not everybody was the fighters. We had a guy, you know, Hawken Lube, who was, you know, 5'9", from Sweden. He wasn't a fighter. We had, you know, Joey Mullen at one point. Uh, you know, he's not a fighter. But you had, you know, at least half our team had to drop the gloves. And so, depending upon, you know, how the game was going or what was happening, you'd be putting your, you know, your hand into the, t- the, the tub of Vaseline and putting it all over your cheeks and your nose and your, your chin. And you'd go out because you knew there was probably a fight going to happen here pretty quick. And the Vaseline would help you, you know, slide some punches off. But uh, it was, it, you know, at the, all I can tell you is at the end of the game, uh, you know, Edmonton was really bad. You know, some of the other teams were bad, too. But Edmonton was probably the worst because we played each other so many times. You just look around the dressing room at the other guys and it, sometimes you'd have blood dripping, you know, into your eye from a cut or something or, you know, you have a broken nose or something and uh you just look at all the guys and it was like you hate to say you went to war because you know uh you know war is a a terrible thing and it's you know but it was like going into battle like you you knew there's a chance you're gonna lose a tooth or or get cut or you know coming back with 12 stitches and stuff like that and uh but once once the game is over and you you knew you'd done what you needed to do it was uh it was a thing of pride and uh and like I said, we hated each other. If if Edmonton hadn't been playing or had those players, Calgary probably would have won, you know, four or five cups. But we had to go up against Edmonton. Also, Winnipeg. Winnipeg had a heck of a team, and uh, you know Dale Howard Chuck, who passed away this year for, uh, or I guess it's three or four months ago from cancer. He was like one of the leading scorers in the league, and and they had a great team too. So the battles were within that smite Division, uh, but. Definitely, Edmonton was the worst.
0: During the off season in 1987, your career and your life nearly came to an end uh, after a horrific car accident. What was your mindset after after that incident, and how was it for you trying to get back onto the ice?
1: You know, uh, obviously, uh, huge, huge accident. Uh, going way too fast, got cut off, but still, I got way, going too fast, right, and. Um, and then you know there's all kinds of things the the police that first got there uh according to my buddy who showed up shortly after uh he who was a paramedic said that uh, the uh, policeman was a little set, uh didn't really want to crawl underneath there and and from the violence of the of the crash just called it in as fatality and so mm-hmm. so consequently i was pinned under the car for uh, you know 15 minutes let's say longer than i should have been and uh but the next day, you know, the the, the flames, basically, everybody kind of knew what had gone on. They knew that there had been maybe a mistake made by the police, but that's not the way the Calgary Flames operate. They was just like, you know what? Mistakes were made on both sides. We're just going to go on and we're not going to do anything about it. You know, in a, you know, wink, wink, hint, hint. Like, you're no one's suing anybody here. And uh, I still had a, a contract left and they said, we're just going to pay out your contract. We'll spread it out as long as you want because the doctors had told him that I'll never play again.
0: And it's a st- it's a, something you heard before, you know, this isn't the first time you're not playing again. It's it's does that motivate you even more of like I've been through this before. I've heard I'm not going to play again.
1: Well, you know what in this case uh I, and we didn't know at the time but I had had my head p- snapped sideways and pinned under the car because I had a T car a T roof car and the and unfortunately my arm had got popped out in, into it and so it was resting on my shoulder and that and so what happened was my left side of my, my body, my, my left arm and hands and all that were paralyzed uh, and paralyzed to the point where three days later, the doctor came up to me and said, all right, well, we have to have a serious talk. And I'm going like, yeah, yeah. Okay. What do you want to talk about? Right? Like, Maybe just uh, yeah. oblivious to it. He goes, we want to know what you want to do with your arm. And I said, uh, what do you mean? He goes, what well, do you want to keep it or should we cut it off? And I'm going like, what he goes, do you want to keep it or you want to cut it off? I'm going like, why would I cut it off? He goes, well, because you're paralyzed, like it's never coming back. And I'm going like, it's coming back. Like, trust me, it's coming back. And they're going through it and they're telling me all the stats, like if you're injured and they pointed out where I was injured up by my neck, he says, in order for that to get down to your hand, it'll take, you know, three years on the average. And he says, you've lost all your nerve functioning. You, you just can't do this. And so I just looked him in the eye and said, you don't understand. I'll be playing this year, this year I'm playing. And they just shook their heads and they walked out. And uh, what I had to do is I basically went to the hospital uh, eight hours a day, five days a week, and uh, I had some great ladies uh, work on me. And uh, essentially what they did was they just kept my arm moving Sometimes they just have to sit on my chest because uh, I'm not sure how how familiar you are with it, but you just tend to seize up, and so they would sit on my chest and move everything around. It, they'd move it, I wouldn't move it, and uh, it literally took about uh, just over three months. And you know, everybody's going like, "All right, you got to make a decision here." Like, and at three months, my I moved a little bit on my one finger. And uh, and the, and the girls go do that again. I'm going like what? Like, you know, and I do uh, you, your finger moved. I said, no, it didn't move. Like I was starting to, you know, I didn't lose faith, but I was starting to lose faith. And then the, I, I could move one of my fingers about a quarter of an inch. And like, that was a big moment. Like they're going like, we don't know how, why, you know, by the grace of God, but it's supposed to work the other way around from your shoulder down but it started to work the other way. And so it got to the point, uh, within about a month where I could kind of half, half move my, my hand, like I could kind of close my hand. And the funny part was I started working out Well, I was working out on the, on the weights and stuff a little bit, but not obviously with my one arm and I could get in. I could do the, uh, the bench press and I could, I would have to lift my hand up to the bench press. And then I could do the bench press because my my triceps had come back quicker than my biceps. But the joke is my biceps never came back. right? <laughs> That's what all my buddies say. But um, but uh, so I could be benching, I don't know, 200 pounds or something. Right. It's still taking me a while to get there. And then as soon as I put the weights back, obviously it had to be spotted. My arm would fall if, you know, just fall to my side because I had no uh, no bicep and um, it got to the point where I was, uh, you know, oh, you know, eight hours a day working out, like every day, just go, go, go. No, time to stop. And I got to the point where the day before um, they had to, they had to uh, uh, list who there was on their team. The Calgary Flames put me on the list, and they said we don't know how, but he's back. And then there was a big uh, uh, brouhaha amongst the different teams in the league because Cliff Fletcher had said to everybody don't take Jamie McCown. We're not going to We're not going to have him on our protected list. Don't take him because he's never going to play again. And because Cliff Fletcher had so much respect around the league, nobody had took me and, and put me on their list. But they were very bitter that all of a sudden I was back ready to play. And uh, so the league calls up, something goes on. The next day I'm in there, the doctors are in there with me. And Cliff Fletcher, who was like a father figure, really, I mean, he was, a, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he basically said to the doctor, if "This was your son, and the seriousness of the injury. Would you let him play?" And the doctor said, "Absolutely not." And and I go, "Well, you're not my dad." Like you know, he goes, <laughs> and he goes, "But you're my, I'm your doctor." And I said, "And I would not sign off on it." And so Cliff said, "All right, you got to wait until the following year to play." And uh, and that's what happened. So. It was, uh, you know, was
0: there, was there a lot of rust when you came back to start the 88, 89 season? I mean, did you have to deal with a lot of kind of reconditioning and getting back into everything?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you notice it even now on the guys and, and these players now in all the sports, they, they work out so much harder than we used to work out. Right. Like, uh, I was joking with one of the guys who plays for the flames and, and he says he takes about two weeks off a year where he's not like riding the bike or doing something. I said, you know what, you should reverse that. I work out about two weeks a year, right? Like, and, that, <laughs> and that's what I used to do. Uh, I mean, until I got hurt and then we, I worked out, obviously, a little bit more. Um, but uh, there was some rust um, just simply because, you know, as good as you are, if you don't play with players, you know, as good as you or, or better, uh, you, you just don't stay at that level. And so it took uh, it took a few games to kind of get her all going again. Um, I'd like to believe it came back. And uh uh, but but you know, in, in in hindsight when I look at it now, I probably was never as good as I could have been if I hadn't been injured, right? That's all.
0: That season kinda of started off like gangbusters. Uh the Flames make a big trade for Doug Gilmore, uh just at the very start of the season. Did that add a little bit of boost of excitement around the locker room of I mean, you got a guy that's coming off two pretty big seasons, so did it add a little bit of a boost? Well, you know what, he did he did both
1: on and off the ice because Part of that trade, I mean, we brought in uh, Rick Walmsley, Rick Natris, uh, Mark Hunter, and Doug Gilmore, all from St. Louis, and they loved to peck shit at each other. They were always giving it mm-hmm. to each other, right? One would be calling one a fatty, and one would be calling one a, a you know a drunkard, and and you know fat, you know, like it's stuff I probably shouldn't even say, but like it was. It was so they helped the the, the dressing room because one of the things that any any winning team has, especially in hockey where it's such a physical sport, is you got to have a good dress room. You got to know when to be serious. You got to know to let a guy relax. You got to know tel- when to tell a guy to smarten up. You know all those sorts of things. So they they helped out and uh, Dougie didn't talk a lot in the dress room, but he definitely was all about winning, and uh so that made a difference. But We had a little triangle of Mark Hunter on one side, Rick Rattress beside me, and then Rick Wamsley down at the end. And those three would get going on each other. And the rest of us, we were having a bad day. It was just it was just fun to to listen to and watch. And then the boys would like, all right, let's get out there and win this game. Right. And uh, and uh, I I, you know, that's uh, that's really that's one of the reasons we won the cup was that everybody liked each other there was nobody that was uh that was left out it, on the road like i said we used to go on the road you always had a roommate and the guys would be saying hey we're in chicago who's going for dinner like and then guys would say "Well, we're gonna go here we're gonna go there and anybody was allowed to go they didn't have any clicks and they didn't have anything like that and so our team you know they they liked each other and they liked each other's families and uh and that's one of the reasons why we were willing to stand up for each other on the ice
0: and everything goes a little better when you're winning. You guys lost just four of your, uh, your first 28 for and won a franchise record 13 in a row. Uh, at what point in your mind is it like, all right, we could be on to something here? I mean, obviously, you guys had made the, Stanley, made the Stanley Cup final. I think it was three years prior. Yeah. So is it kind of in the back of your mind of like, all right, we might be able to at least get there again?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we knew or we were thinking we got to get through Edmonton again. And Edmonton was thinking, well, we got to stop Calgary. But we we really believed that we were, if not the best team in the league, we were in the top two or three, and uh, it's just a matter of staying healthy and keeping the mindset proper. And um, you know, like I'll remember one game. I'm trying to, I don't, I couldn't even tell you what year it was, but it just kind of showed you the mentality of our team. We went into Toronto, where there's a lot of uh, a lot of players come from the Ontario area, and we were on the last game of our of our road trip. So it's tough, you know. Like it's a long time, day 14 on the road or whatever, and maybe our third game in four nights, and we're losing against uh, against Toronto. I think it was five to one, uh, with like 10 minutes to go in the third period, and the boys all of a sudden like it just hit us like boys, we're not, we're not going to lose this game. This team's not that good. Like, let's smarten up. We all kind of, like, hit each other in the back of the heads. You probably get arrested for that now, right? And also, <laughs> or the coaches would get fired. But it was like, let's pick this up. And we scored, like, five goals in the next, like, eight minutes and won the game and showed who we really were. And, uh, you know, that's really where we were at. We knew that when we played our best, we wouldn't get beat. Like, you know, I mean, there's the odd fluke. But we we thought we were we should win the cup, and uh, and you know ultimately we were lucky enough to do that.
0: You guys were unbeaten in your first seventeen home games, and I think you lost four that season. What was it about playing at the Saddle Dome that just kind of lit a fire under the team's ass?
1: Well, you know, um, some teams get get a lot of support. Some teams don't get as much. Like if you're in. Uh, I'm going to make this up a little bit, but if you're, you know, surrounded by, you know, you got New York, New York, and, you know, uh, and all those teams right in that area, there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys that, that try to, you know, travel with the team. So you have a big section of, of, uh, of fans perhaps that are, uh, that are on, on the, the side of the visiting team, you know, out, in, out in Calgary, you know, with the exception really of Edmonton and maybe Montreal and Toronto, almost everybody that was there to, uh, to, to, you know, to give us their their 100, and they were cheering for us, and and there was a lot of hometown pride. You know, we were still a small small city. Like I said, we uh, we weren't a big city, and so everybody knew we had a really good team. And, and it's kind of like Green Bay, maybe, where you know, small little area, small population, but one one thing you're definitely doing is you're supporting the Flames. And uh, I mean, they they support our football team, the CFL too, but um, you know, hockey still rules here.
0: Well, that makes sense, too, because you said that the population was about 400,000 or so back then. So it's like you're playing in front of your barber and your grocer and your insurance salesman and and all those people. So maybe that kind of adds a little bit to the psyche of I need to do well because I know who these people are that are coming to watch me every night. They're not just unknown faces.
1: Well, that, that's exactly true. And, and we would go as, as there's a lot of single guys, you know, going around and you'd go to get restaurant uh, food and stuff because we we didn't want to be trusting our own food all the time and uh and you know the owner of the restaurant would come out and he'd start talking hockey with you and he'd like half the time he'd be trying to you know give it to us for free and you know we'd like no no we can't give it free we got to give him a big tip then instead right and uh but they were they were they were proud to say yeah the flames are coming to eat at my restaurant you know uh, or the flames are coming to you know to buy groceries at my you know grocery store and stuff so it was it was a big thing and uh, the doctors w- wanted to be part of the t- part of it. The dentists want to be part of it. There's a lineup of people saying, you know, I'll work for free, but I just want to be part of the, the Calgary flames. And uh, it had, I mean, it, it was the biggest thing in town. Uh, it's still the biggest thing in town, but back then, you know, it, it was more so it was just huge.
0: Around Christmas time, things kind of faltered a little bit and it, it winds up uh, the team calls up the Uh What what were your perceptions of him, and what kind of shot in the arm did he provide for the team at at the start of the new year?
1: Well, you know Theo Fleury is is uh, is and was I think one of the best players that ever played the game. Unfortunately, you know the you know, there's some history there where you're probably aware there was some sexual abuse uh, that happened in junior, um, yeah. and that was something that uh, you know he never got a hold of until he was about forty. Right and could understand what really happened, um, and it you know came. Uh, I, I, I was going to say come out of the closet, probably the pro- improper term, but he came out and acknowledged what had happened, and now has has made a life of himself by by supporting other people that have had the same issues, and uh, and I've gone on some trips with him, and it's it's mind-boggling to to find out that you go into a high school and there's been. 22 kids that have had some sort of sexual abuse you know it's just i it's i grew disgusting. up i grew up in, in this you know uh magical world where i never even heard about anybody doing that but but theo came up and at the time he was just full of piss and vinegar right like he's just i mean he's only for like five six five six and a half a uh, hundred and maybe 160 pounds maybe as the heaviest he was at the time and,
0: and his junior numbers were staggering
1: yeah he, he was just pure talent he was just pure talent. Um, like he's a good golfer. Like if he really tried, he's probably a scratch golfer. You know what I mean? Right now he's, I think he's a four or something. Right. He, one time I was golfing with him. He took my driver out and hit the ball further with my driver. than I hit with mine. Like, like I'm like, he's a righty. I'm a lefty. Right. And it was like, how's that? that's just pure hands, eye coordination, but he was, he was, uh, one of the keys. He, uh, every, every team that wins a cup, as much as they like to say they rest on one or two players, you know, you it's a full team that wins. Right. And uh, yeah, some of the guys play less. Some of the guys don't play all the games, but you win as a team. And uh, I think if you were to ask any team that's won in the last 50 years, you'll, you'll probably go, Oh, who's the star on that team? And you'll go talk to him. But if, but if he's a, you know, I say if he's a good guy, most of them are great guys, but they'll be the first one to acknowledge. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I actually only played 15 minutes a game. I got a lot of power play time. I scored some goals, but, you know, there's 10 guys there that played 20 minutes a game, right? And they took the block shots and they they took the punches to the head in order to get me, you know, into the into the breakaway or something like that. And so Theron Fleury was a combination of all that. He was a fast little guy. Um,
0: a lot of teams Have just... you ever played with somebody that fast. I mean, he could just turn it on like to a whole nother level.
1: Yeah, he. well, he's small and fast, right? Like there's a lot of players that are fast, but you kind of anticipate because he's so big. But Theo is could dart in and out, right? He's a little bit like uh, uh, Johnny Goudreau, who plays for Calgary now. Small, mm-hmm. quick, darting in and out. Maybe not fast straight line, but just like you, where the heck did he go, right? Like you know, yeah. where you get a guy like an Eric Lindros or something, right? Eric Lindros is, was fast once he got going, but he's not turning like like Theron did, and and Theron had talent, and Theron wasn't afraid to go into the corners, and Theron took a bunch of punches to the head in order to to, to get to the front of the net or to get a goal, and uh, you know there you know it reminds me of some guys that play for for Boston right now. <laughs>
0: You guys won the uh, the president's trophy two seasons in a row, and '88-'89 was the second one. Um, is that something you guys celebrate, or is the focus away from that and just we got a job to do?
1: Well, the first year I think was more of a celebration because it's 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 you know at the time I think what was it? There was uh, 21 teams, I believe it was, or and uh, and it, it's tough. It was tough to become first and come number one, right? And then the second year. We realized that you know the job hadn't uh, got done, and uh, if, I don't know if you notice this, but a lot of teams in the NHL, at least, when they get that divisional trophy, they don't even touch it,
0: right? Yeah, like, stay away from it.
1: Yeah, like you know what, this isn't what we're going for here. You know, put that somewhere else where that's not our that's not our goal. Our goal is is to win the Stanley Cup. And uh, the, all that started right around that time. You didn't want to touch the cup, like you know, like, hey, you know what? We celebrated too much last time when we didn't get it done, you know. So, so now it's like, you know, let somebody else, let the let the coach accept it, or let the, let the general manager <laughs> accept it. We we don't want it.
0: In the uh, the opening playoff series against Vancouver, they push you guys to to a game seven overtime. What's it like playing in a game knowing that the next goal advances you in this to the next series?
1: Well, you know, that, you know, was, was definitely another learning uh, experience for the Flames. Vancouver at the time had a good team, too. That whole Smite division was good. And uh, like when I say L.A. wasn't very good, but the other four teams were really good and very comparable and we thought that we were just going to roll over uh roll over Vancouver cuz we were we were better but they came to play and they had great goaltending they had uh, all their best players were playing you know you can't win without your best players playing good and their best players played really good really good and it was to the point where uh you know well they're saying with a little bit of luck they lost a bad luck but with a little bit of good luck we won and we should have won. We were the better team, but it still came down to a little bit of luck and uh
0: that, I'm sorry. That was the year Trevor Linden kinda lit the world on fire, wasn't it? That was his rookie season. He was good. Like Trevor, I mean
1: it's funny when you play against some guys you, and maybe when you're seeing them every day, you don't realize how good they really are. It's kind of the opposite. Cause you go like, he's not that good. Right. <laughs> but, but then all of a sudden you you see his stats and you realize, Holy Christ, like he's, how many points did he get? Like uh, how many, and more importantly, how many did he get against me? You know, it's like, you know, cause I was one of those guys, uh, you know, when, if Trevor Linden went out, I was okay, Jamie, get out there and stop him," Right. Like, you know, whoever the whoever their best player was, I was always put on the ice to to hope, hopefully prevent some goals. But you know, they had they you know they had some good players and uh I always remember Stan Smeal, you know, like uh, feisty little bugger and uh but, you know, could play the game and and you know, they they I mean they just had a good team and uh but uh luckily for us not good enough.
0: In that in that overtime, Mike Vernon made some ridiculous saves. I mean he pretty much was part of the reason you guys won that series. How vital was he in that run? Kind of catching lightning in a bottle, and because and, he was a guy that, he kind of had a roller coaster of a career. He went through waves of being just outstanding, and when he was good, there was nobody that was better. How important was he to the team's success?
1: Well, obviously, I mean, I, I remember correctly, you're probably thinking about the one, there was a breakaway, and he caught it in his glove. And uh, There
0: were like two. There was like two big glove saves, and then one where he just dove across the crease and made made a hell of a save. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm not on for those ones, but I might. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: check the film. Yeah, but I do remember seeing the one where he catches the glove on a breakaway, and I'm, and first thing as a defenseman, you're going, "Oh, was I on for this one?" And I wasn't for that one, but I probably deserved to be on for some of the other ones. But you know what? Like again, like we were we were a good team. Uh, Vernie was was good some games. He was average other games, but he was great when he needed to be. Kind of, a little bit like Grant Fuhrer. Grant Fuhrer, if you look at his goals against, you know, they, they, it's not spectacular compared to like a, you know, a, a, you know, some of the goalies that you see today, or even or Hasek or somebody. But he made the he made the saves when they needed to be saved. And Vernie was the same way. And he he made some some key saves for us. And and basically one of the reasons why we got out of the, we got out of the first round was because of Mike Vernon. And then another round, it was, you know, you know, Dougie Gilmore made some incredible plays or something. You know, it's just everybody took stepped up and uh, and uh, but you're right, you know, Vernie. uh, And again, I knew Vernie before he came onto the team and I went and had beers with him when he was young and stuff. And so you kind of think of him as like a little brother and he can't be that good. Right. He's my little brother (laughs) sort of thing. Right. But uh, if you look back and see some of the stuff that he did, he definitely uh, was was pretty darn good
0: you guys take on the Kings in the, uh, the second round and against Wayne Gretzky, I think it was his first year there. Correct. Is, is it once an Edmonton oiler, always an Edmonton oiler? And, and were you guys tired of hearing about Wayne Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky? So is it, was it like, let's just kind of stuff it to him? Well,
1: anytime you had a chance to beat Wayne Gretzky, you were pretty happy. Right. And, uh, and, and you know, like he, there's different kinds of players, obviously the most talented offensive player ever, you know, say whatever you want. I mean, uh, Merrill Lemieux probably a bigger, uh, well, he's six, five, but and he was, had more talent like one-on-one, but, yeah. but no one s- seemed to be able to see the ice the way Gretzky did. No one could feather that pass across like Gretzky did. And uh, as a defenseman, he was frustrating because he would always do that, you know, curl up. And so you'd go to hit him, And then, and all of a sudden you realize one of his guys is getting behind you. So you got to back up again and he'd still get it through. Right. He was, that's what he was all about. And, um, but having said that, I and mean, you had a chance to hit him, you hit him. and uh, But he just rarely put himself in that position. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we were very happy to play L.A. because we thought we were going to beat L.A. pretty quickly. And, uh, obviously, that's what happened.
0: In Game One against Chicago, you scored the first goal. Does is it kind of stuck in your mind because it was a howitzer from the blue line, and it it kind of got that series off on the right foot for the Flames.
1: I'm not sure anybody's ever said I had a howitzer, but uh, <laughs> I'll take that. Um, you know what? The funny thing is, uh, it was just a goal. Like, I mean, it was yeah, it was great to score a goal. It, when I went home to talk to my friends and family, they were more excited about that than I was because I knew my role at that time had changed. Uh, I was there to be uh, a physical player. I was there to, to prevent the other team from scoring and anything that I did offensively was a bonus and, um, uh, you know, but yeah, it's nice to score a goal. It's nice to get some credit and, uh, you know, cause, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm half joking here, but it's true. I mean, I don't know how many times I shot the puck and I said, hey, that's my goal. I went right in. And then back before the cameras were there, the the, for, the forward in front of the net would go, no, that went off of me. Right. And I go, come on, come on. <laughs> and he, he goes, I got a bonus. I got a bonus. All right, take it. It's like, you know, <laughs> so honest to God, I bet you I lost like 30 goals, but uh, I, did, I never had a scoring bonus, so it didn't really matter to me.
0: In game four, you guys won in overtime, and uh, is it true that Terry Chris climbed over the glass and, and kissed a woman behind the bench thinking it was his wife and it wasn't his wife? Um... I really don't know what to say on that one other than uh, <laughs> you can plead the fifth
1: that's fine you know I know he's still with his wife I can tell you that and, and uh, crispy was what well, was it
0: was by accident though yeah. it wasn't it wasn't planned he thought it was his wife and it was just miscommunication on his part
1: Well you know what Crispy was uh, he I mean he was an NHL player right? he played with Philly and uh, won some cups and he knows what it's like to have to be that third or fourth line player and he knows what it's like to have to win and do what it takes to win. And, um, that's just the way he coached too. Like he didn't care. I shouldn't say he didn't care, but like, if you, you know, you know, we're out having some beers and you miss curfew by 15 minutes. He wasn't like some coaches would be losing it. He goes, I don't care what you do just when you come, you know, when that puck drops, you're ready to play. And that's, well, that's what
0: those guys did when they were on the flyers, you know, when he was a member of the flyers, that's what they did. They went out before games, after games. It it didn't matter as long as they'd, they'd win it. It was all good. Yeah. Well,
1: I, yeah, I mean, that's, I've read some books on it and uh, talked to him a little bit on it, but, uh, you know, and, and I, that's kind of my philosophy, too. I didn't care what the guys did as long as they came to play. And and to be honest with you, some guys, when you stuck them in the hotel room for three days straight, they got terrible. I mean, they I don't know what it was. They need to get out. They need to talk to their wives. They need to do something. They need to have, go have a beer. And other guys, uh, you know, just, you know, they, hey, what you do? Oh, I went out and had uh, you know, four four plates of pasta, you know, and like <laughs> all the things you're not supposed to do now. And, uh, and I had like six beer and they went to bed. And next day he was the best player on the ice, right? So, but Crispy, Crispy had some uh, enthusiasm, and I, I, loved Crispy as a coach. He was very honest with you. He just said, you know what? I don't like. I said, you know, kind of alluding to the same thing. I want you to go out there and play your best. And if you make a mistake, just don't do it again. Just like get out there.
0: He seemed kind of quiet and a little philosophical. Could he, could he raise hell when the time needed to come to raise hell? when crispy came to the team in Calgary, we already had a pretty seasoned team
1: by then. You know, we you know, like I said, I, I was mentioning names. We had uh, Gary Roberts and, and Joe Newendike and uh, Joey Mullen and, and, uh, and Dougie Gilmore and Al McInnes and Gary Souter and, you know, like whoever else, I mean, we're going to go through a bunch of them. Brian McClellan, who's now up and in, in uh, Washington. Um, so, you know, it's not the same as with, with a bunch of kids like at a junior. Like, you know, yelling at us wasn't necessarily going to get the point across. Yelling a little bit louder once in a while definitely would do better than to come in and kick the Gatorade over which some of the other coaches used to do right it's like so like okay now we have no Gatorade we're in you know and now we're all thirsty right like but uh no he was he was a, he was like I said he played he'd been through it a number of times he played with the Broad Street Bullies right like uh he couldn't get any wackier than those guys for a while so uh I think that was one of the reasons why he was a little bit more level-headed when he was coaching us
0: when the Stanley Cup final rolled around was it was there a little bit of exacting revenge when it came time to play the Canadians? Was that in the back of the team's mind of Let, let's finish what we started three years ago and let's beat these guys.
1: Absolutely. And you know what the funny thing is, like we win a game, we go, well, we're supposed to win a game, but we lost a game. It's like, I don't know how we lost the game. That's we're still going to win. Like we not to this, to this day, I, don't, I haven't talked to one of the guys that played that didn't think we were going to win the cup that year. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's just, it was just, we knew we were going to win. And uh, we were—I think we were definitely the better team, but uh, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, we were happy to be able to win it in Montreal in the old Forum. Uh, we were the only team ever to win a cup against uh, Montreal Canadiens. Does that make it any sweeter? That part—that is special, you know. That and that's something that historians always bring up. They always remember because it had never happened before, and for us to go in there and we—and we did it. Uh, you know, it was game six, but it, pretty handily. I mean, I said, you know, like, you know, a couple of the games got away on us, but we deserved to win. And that game, game six, I don't think was ever really in doubt. And, uh, but, you know, the one thing I got to say, the the players on the Montreal Canadiens were all classy guys. The The fans were classy when we won the cup, the fans stood and cheered, right. It was great hockey. I mean, it really, it really was good hockey. It wasn't like, you know, some days now you see it where the, you know, I, I was thinking like Yankees versus Red Sox or something, right. Where, yeah. where they're throwing cans on the, on the field or <laughs> something. Uh, no, it was, it was, it was a pleasure to win there. It was, it was obviously, you know, fun to win there, but, uh, maybe that's why one, one of the biggest things. Cause when I won it again, years later with Detroit you know, we won in Washington and it wasn't even close, right? Washington wasn't, uh, unfortunately they weren't up to the Detroit's level and, uh, and the hockey, uh, excitement in Washington wasn't as big either. Right. So kind of a, a double, double knock against it. But, uh, you know, Washington has got a team now, obviously Hmm. they, they've had some great hockey lately, but, uh, Montreal was definitely special.
0: As the clock's winding down and you know you're about to become a champion, what what's going through your mind? Well, if
1: you're on the bench, you're going, what are you putting me back on the ice?" is is what you're thinking. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be on the ice uh, when we won it. I grabbed the puck, you know, it's like sort of thing. And uh, but it was just. Do you still have it? Yeah, somewhere. I don't even know where it is <laughs> now. To be honest with you, <laughs> I've got it somewhere in one of my boxes. But um, you know, like, uh, and maybe what people don't know. Um, is that earlier in the year in the september of that year my mom had passed away from cancer and so i had, had to go back to tell her uh you know because i was in training camp i had to go back to toronto uh, area to say say my goodbyes and that was pretty tough and so what had happened was uh my dad was working for a bank at the time and he basically told the bank i'm gonna go see my son's hockey games so he went and saw I think, oh, I can't remember how many games we even played, but he saw like 16 of the games. Mm-hmm. Like he was traveling on the road with us and everybody knew who he was. And when we won the cup, uh, I think it was Harley Hodgkiss, who's one of the owners of the Flames at the time, uh, saw my dad and brought him down with his three buddies into the dress room. So literally immediately after, while they're oh, still sp- awesome. they're spraying the champagne and all that sort of stuff, my dad's in the dress room with me. And, uh, that was, that was pretty special.
0: So is that kind of who you hung out with at that point? Kind of got to share that moment with your dad and his friends, as opposed to as much with your teammates? Um,
1: I definitely spent some time with them for sure. Like the guys were taking turns, like hugging each other and, You know it's it's a long long year right and and like i said we you know the only time that we ever took charters was was in some of the playoff games we didn't charter all the time and so it wears on the body and then suddenly it's over with and then it's just like a wave of relief comes over you for a you know you're done but also you've won the cup and then uh you know mr new was there i'm sure uh uh, mark hunter's father i think was there so there are a few of the fathers and uh were allowed to come into the dress room and you know uh, there were some tears um, uh, you know uh, um, in some of the corners for sure and uh you know for my dad that was something huge because You know, he and my mom had sacrificed, uh, you know, as as a lot of parents do uh, for their kids. And instead of having the the bigger house and going on the big trips, we'd be playing hockey. We'd be going to Sarnia or we'd go going to Windsor or going to, you know, some place in the States to play hockey. and, And that was their holidays. And so for him to be able to sit there and drink from the cup right, and and hold the cup and have pictures with his son and his best friends uh, with the cup. Uh, I was happier for him than I was for myself.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a gift back to him. It's kind of just a, an unwritten way of saying, thanks, Dad, like, thanks for sticking with me and, and getting me to this point.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think every player that ever wins the cup, uh, the first thing they think about is, like, I cannot believe the sacrifices that my coaches, my managers, like all the different people all the way up, Some families, uh, you know, don't have both parents and stuff. And so they they rely on the managers as well. But, uh, you know, all those parents have done so much sacrificing for the kids and uh, even more so when it's your own kid. And, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, he got some pictures framed. That uh, all the, all his buddies that uh, went to the the game had, and they all had him up in their. One had it in their his office, and one had it at his his workplace, and my dad had it in his basement. And um, every single person that came down, I'm sure, got a chance to see that picture.
0: <laughs> well, the champagne in the cup tasted a little sweeter for one of your teammates, Lanny McDonald. He was benched for for three straight games in the Stanley Cup final how was it for you, how satisfying was it for you to see your longtime teammate finally become a champion?
1: Well, you know what, Lanny's one of those guys who, like, when we, when I joined the team, I was 21, then we had a bunch of other guys come in at, like, 20, 21 as well, and so we had about seven guys on the Calgary Flames that were all under 25, and Lanny at the time was, like, thirty three or something. Like it seemed like he was a hundred, honest to God. But because <laughs> he seemed so old compared to the rest of us. He had four well, with
0: that beard too. He looked it.
1: Yeah, well he had four <laughs> kids. He's married and we're all like, what? I'm married. Um so he was looked up to for sure. And um, you know, like everything just went perfect for him. You know, he got like his five hundredth goal. He got his thousandth point that year. And then to come back and play in the last game that he ever played, he gets a goal and wins the cup. I mean, we all we all laugh and we go, "That's bullshit, Lanny. This is like <laughs> this is a fairy tale thing to the extreme." We never got that chance, like you know, and uh, and we're still good friends. And I saw him just the other day, and uh, you know, but good family guy, good charity guy, which we're all in, well out here in Calgary. But most anti-challers are good about uh, doing charity works, and he's been he led by example, and uh, and and helped teach us that way. So having him win that cup, I mean. He, uh, well, every single reporter that ever, ever followed the game had to do a story on Landon McDonald, right? They didn't do too many on Jamie McCowan, but they did a few on (laughs) Landon McDonald. So it was good for him, got a chance to get out and play. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it would have been uh, bittersweet if he, if we had gone ahead and won and he didn't have a chance to play
0: there's one picture of him with the cup that's like burned in my brain. And I've joked with people before, like it embodies what the NHL is. And I, I, I I always joke, like, that's what the logo should look like. You know how the major league baseball, the logo is a silhouette and NBA, it's Jerry West. It's a silhouette. It should be Lanny McDonald, McDonald with his one arm around the cup with this big beard. That, that should be the, the NHL logo. It's just, it's, it's grit. It's, it's, it's just pure bliss. Well, you know what? I, 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 You know, we
1: joke with him all the time. We always used to joke, and because we'd all show up, and then everybody go, "Where's Lanny? Where's Lanny?" And they used to go, "Where's well, Lanny McDonald?" And the rest of the Calgary Flames, right? <laughs> and we'd all go, "Like, what's Lanny done? Like, what's he ever done?" Anyways, but he's such a good guy, such a good family man, and um, you know, he he did lead by example because you know he was he was older. His uh, he'd started to lose, and you know he'll be mad at me for saying it. He'd started to lose some of his talent, um, as we all do. But, uh, you know, at least for a few of those games, and it's definitely in that last game, you know, he got a penalty, got into the penalty box, you know, and it was a chance that it could have gone the wrong way and he would have been the goat and he would never have seen the ice again. But, uh, you know, he came out, I was on the ice for that and I'm skating up the ice with him. I might have been actually hooking a couple of guys, but uh, which you're allowed to do back then. And uh, and he comes off uh, the penalty box and, and scores a goal. And uh, I, I th- I'm pretty sure that's the one the NHL uses like almost all the time. They'll show Landon McDonald coming around the corner with his hands up, so happy, so excited. I think most of the time they cut it off just before I get there. But uh, <laughs> I'll have to
0: phone the NHL. And say, just two more seconds and you'll see my name, right? So like, <laughs> just, just, just two more. That's it. That's yeah. all I need. Many forget that he mulled over that retirement for a while. At what point did you guys on the team know? Because I'm assuming you had to have known before the public knew. Um, he, he had some, some close friends. Joey Mullen
1: was a really close friend of his on the, on the team. You know, Joey was a little bit older as well, and they were roommates on the road. And sometimes it kind of come up a little bit, you know, come playoff time. And then when he didn't play one of the games, like the, the rumors are on, you know, right away, the reporters are like, Oh, this, this is Lanny's sat out, right? Like Lanny, you know can't play you know or what however they wanted to word it so immediately we we're all thinking you know what this probably is Lanny's last year and if that gives you any more uh you know driver enthusiasm then, then let's do it right and uh you know win it for Lanny I mean obviously we we're winning yeah. it for ourselves we we're winning it for you know this might sound silly we were winning it for our owners we had such great owners back then and not all teams have great owners you know, they might get mad at me for saying that, but it's true. You hear horror stories <laughs> of no, some of the owners. absolutely. And we had great owners. Like, I remember uh, my second year, I'm, I'm sitting in town. I get a phone call, and it's one of the owner's wives calls me up and says, oh, we're having a dinner, like, in two days. Like, on Saturday, we want you to come. And I was like, come where? Come to our house, right? And we're going to sh- – and so there's, like, five or six of us that were in town show up and – and they put on dinner and the, and the wife is like doing the cooking and she's making she's made like six or seven pies and cakes all by herself uh from scratch and she was a heck of a cook and we're sitting there and I'm telling my parents the next day you know i was just at the owner's house like and they're going like what <laughs> it's like like we're trying to think of like Harold Ballard in Toronto right I don't know if that name's familiar to you but Harold Ballard was not what you consider a great owner and uh, no one would ever go to Harold Ballard's house. Right. That's just the way. Yeah, that Cause is, they
0: kind of think they're on another level. They don't look at you so much as equals. They look at you some, sometimes like they're above you.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and some of them make a point of letting you know that too. Right. So, but no, we, we, uh, we had great owners. We wanted to win it for them. They treated us well. And, uh, and we wanted to win it for, for Lanny. And we wanted, you know, we wanted to live, uh, win it for Cliff Fletcher who are our general manager who had slowly built the team up too. So, might sound kind of hokey now but uh uh but you know back then you you joined a team and you didn't want to get traded you, you stayed for years and it wasn't until cliff fletcher got traded to toronto that i got traded and I, lo and behold i got traded to toronto <laughs> it's like so uh, dougie gilmore and i got traded down there and uh and
0: we carried on with our career what was it like when you landed? What, what were the, the, the reception? What were the people kind of like when they were waiting for you?
1: Well, two hours difference, right? And uh, so by the time we landed, I believe we, it was around one uh, thirty. Maybe might have been quarter to two, but, but right around that time. One of the reasons was, uh, you know, it took us like a solid hour and a half to get out of the forum. You know, all the celebrating and stuff. And then the guys still had to shower and there's reporters in there, and then there's, you know, the parents are in there and stuff. So it took us a while to get out of there and they put some beer on the bus and then the beer was gone in about five minutes, right? Because <laughs> they didn't buy enough beer. They, they didn't realize they had a hockey team, right? It like, always happens, right? Yeah, so we had to stop uh, on the way to the airport, we had to stop and load up on more beer because they're going like, how much beer do we have in the plane? And uh, not enough. And so Cliff Fletcher <laughs> said, we need more beer. And, uh, and literally, so I don't even know how much we've got, but, uh, you know, after about an hour and a half or two hours on the plane, the guys, you know, started to settle down. Right. I mean, uh, we weren't going crazy. We are just excited and talking and stuff and having fun. And, and even, even a couple of guys might even have fallen asleep, which, you know, cause you're just going, you know, all the energy you've expended. And, uh, but uh, then we landed and there's people at the, uh, at the airport, and uh, then you know we're thinking like, well, what should we do? Well, let's go downtown and see if anybody's downtown. <laughs>
0: so
1: so, so uh, we went downtown. It didn't not not to have beers or anything, but we just just wanted to see the people. And there's still like thousands and thousands of people out on the main streets downtown Calgary, celebrating with their flags and their sweaters and and cheering. And uh, you know you know now it's whatever two thirty in the morning or three thirty in the morning, and the people are still just peachy keen right they're ready to go all night
0: (laughs) what was the parade like do you have any memories from that that kind of stand out in your mind well
1: you know what i had uh i had had a chance to go into what's called the stampede parade which is our big uh uh, event during the summer out in calgary and and it can be pretty large you know you can have uh you know because there's lots of visitors into town and you've got everything from people on horsebacks to uh you know bands uh you know from uh when i say bands uh, you know marching bands from europe and the united states so it's it's quite a it's quite a nice parade but it's always been like yeah it's it's pretty good it's okay and then you know we get to be in their parade and there was only one reason we were there they weren't there to see the marching band they weren't there yeah. to <laughs> see anything else they were to see to see the flag and to see the cup and to see the players and uh I mean, there was people everywhere. You know, the parkades had people on every level looking down and cheering and stuff. So it was pretty special, I can tell you that.
0: Back in 89, um, there was no day with the Cup like there is now. But did you get a chance to have any any time with it? I mean, you could you could kind of pick it up if it was here and take it there. Did you get any time with just you and the Cup at that point?
1: Yeah, not not very much. I, I think I got about half a day with it. And uh, the crazy thing was... Um, and we were one of the ones who i guess not me personally but one of the guys that said like why are we not allowing this cup to go out and um the like the, the one equipment manager who was like the son of our equipment manager he had it for like two days by himself right because it was just sitting somewhere right mm-hmm. and uh and we're going like why is a guy who's not even a player why has he got it and and the actual players didn't get it so you know, by the time I won it again, you know, it, you know, you just had to book it in your calendar. And you, they, they worked it across North America, and they worked it across Europe, depending upon how your team was. And, uh, but, you know, almost everybody does the same thing. They take it to either their parents' house, or they take it to the hospital, uh, or usually a children's hospital. And uh, when I had it the one year, uh, um, well, actually, I, I was fortunate enough to have it twice. But, um, you know, the, you, you celebrate you celebrate with it and uh, and you have fun and and, uh, and, uh, and hopefully you make some memories as well.
0: So is that what you did with it when you won in Detroit in 98? You took it to, to Children's Hospital and then kind of took it to your parents' house?
1: Uh, well, I, I what I did was I, my, my, I think my dad was out here in Calgary. So I got it when I was out in Calgary and I took it to the Children's Hospital here. Um, and then I took it to my house and we had a big party there and, uh, you know, it was some pretty, pretty funny stories. Cause I lived on a small Lake there and I knew some cops too. And, and around one o'clock in the morning, they bring one of the helicopters over and they light us up with the light. Right. <laughs> and they're talking to us, my go to bed. <laughs> you're, you're waking your neighbors up and stuff. And we're yelling at them and, and we hold the cup up and it's shining everywhere. Right. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, the guy who's supposed to have the cup and, ha- you know, you see him all the time, he wears the gloves and stuff. He was sleeping in my bedroom or not my bedroom, but one of the bedrooms. And he finally said, I'm tired. Just don't lose the cup. Right. So we're having some fun. And I come out the one time where there's like 10 of us left or 15 of us left. It's like four in the morning. I go, where's the cup? And everybody's going like, I don't know who's got the cup. Where's the cup? Michael, who had it last? And they're kind of pointing at each other and finally they go, oh, It's like a three stooges skit. Yeah. So what we were doing, we were taking it into the lake and you could spin it. And you, as long as it was spinning, it would float. But as soon as it stopped spinning, it started to sink. Well, the oh, one no. guy the one guy was spinning it, and then someone said, Hey, you want a drink? And he goes, Yeah. And walked out and forgot that he had the cup <sighs> in there. So we had to go find the cup. It was in about ten feet of water there. And uh how long did it take you to find it? Well, not that long. It took us probably about two minutes. Well, we were worried that, you know, it was going to keep on like, thank God it wasn't a river because it would have been floating downstream. But, uh, but it was just, it was just fun. I mean, it was just, it was just so everybody that you knew wanted to be there. Everybody wanted to see it. You know, there's pictures of little kids with her you know, sitting in the cup, right. You know, and, uh, i got a picture of my youngest daughter, uh, you know, in the cup and, uh, and she's going, who's that? I go, that's you, that's you. That's how small you were. Right. It's like, so, but it's uh but it was good. It was a fun time.
0: After winning the first one and kind of knowing how that goes, did it make winning the second Stanley Cup like a little a little more of stop enjoy it because this might be it. I might not get to do this again.
1: Uh definitely every all of the above, right? I was uh I guess I was 38 at the time uh when I won the second one. It had been a few years. I like I said I mentioned earlier I was uh, again Washington. We had a pretty good team. We had to get by some good teams to get there, but then when we got by and, and and won the Western Conference at that time, the Western Conference was a little stronger than the East, and uh, we went up against Washington, and uh, it was four straight. Uh, really, I shouldn't say it wasn't close. There were there were good games, but anytime you sweep it, you know you know it's it's pretty easy. And the most fun part about that though, was that when you landed in Washington, they would have you land in the, the VIP area of the airport. And then you, we'd all hop onto a bus, right? Just a regular old bus, nothing fancy, no limos or anything. And then there's all these cops around. They have a special VIP police force. And we're going like, well, when are we going? Like, let's, let's get her going. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, you wait, you wait. And then, so they they take you in quickly, like with the sirens going. And then when we went in to see uh, uh, the White House, they even did it to the extreme where, you know, we're at the airport at, I don't know, I'll call it, uh, you know, 20 after 1, and we're supposed to be at the White House at, you know, 20 to 2 sort of thing. And it was like, I thought it was like a 45-minute drive, and he goes, <laughs> don't worry about it, and they've got the sirens going, they've got the uh, the police cars and the guys on the motorcycles, and if you don't pull over, the guy on the motorcycles kicking you the car mm-hmm. and stuff. And it was so, I wish they were taking pictures of the bus because here you got all these NHL hockey players that are supposedly, you know, making all this money. They were like a bunch of kids, right? They all got <laughs> their heads out the window, literally out their heads out their window, watching what's going on. you know, and, uh, and then we, we cruise it in there and then, you know, then we go through the White House, uh, you know, parade sort of thing. And uh, it was fun. It was really, it was really quite enjoyable, but, but. We, you know, as much as we thought we were going to win it in Calgary, and you know, I think after about one period of the first game, we said, you know what, we're the better team. We're going to win this series. So like, let's get her done. Like let's not mess around. We don't want to go six or seven. We're going at four. And uh, you know, Fedorov and Iserman, you know, Shanahan, you know, there's three pretty good leaders right there. Yeah. You know, yeah, Larry Murphy.
0: When you got traded from Calgary to Toronto and then you wound up playing Toronto and Detroit, when you played against Al McInnes at that point, did you ever block one of his shots, and what did that feel like if you did? Well, I
1: blocked one of his shots many a time uh, in practice because yeah. we used to practice. We had Badger Bob uh, back in Calgary, and so we, we used to have the power play unit and the penalty killing unit. Well, it wasn't fun being on the penalty killing unit because you were doing all the work, and the guys were just passing it around, pass around, and then they'd shoot it and Al McKinnis say whatever you want about him. He didn't always know where his shot was going, right? Like he, uh, he missed the net quite a few times. And, uh, maybe that's what made him so lethal because the goalies knew that he didn't know where it was going either. Right. Yeah. And every once in a while, he'd send one and hit the goalie right in the head and it would hurt and knock his helmet off or something. So that goalie was always a little bit on his heels when Al was shooting. And, uh, I don't know. I, I blocked a few of his shots and it hurt. And, uh, luckily for me i was fortunate that uh, when i blocked shots it, it hurt like the dickens but uh, i never broke any bones right you, you hear about guys breaking bones in their feet all the time from blocking shots and i mean i don't even know what the new skates are like i'm the skates i use right now literally are the skates i won the cup with with detroit i'm still using them and i don't want to break in new ones so that's my story so
0: <laughs> how have you spent time after your playing career um, you know what the first year and a half was just getting healthy.
1: You know, it, it's funny. Um, you, you realize that it takes you a little while during the summer, but uh, when you finally retire and like five months later, six months later, all these aches and pains come out of your body sort of thing. Right. And you guys got to kind of get used to it. And so really for the first year and a half, I just did nothing. You know, I just hung around the family and did stuff with the kids and not much else. Then I started doing some alumni stuff and uh, some charity work and stuff. And then, you know, I got bored, to be honest with you. And I started working in the oil patch, downtown Calgary. Um, you know, oil out here is a, Calgary's like Houston, right? It's a big mm-hmm. oil. And I uh, did that for a little bit and, uh, um, you know, just had, had some fun. And uh, the last 10 years, I've been selling real estate here in town and uh, keeping busy and uh i have uh well i'm a half owner of a car dealership in ontario just north of toronto so that's kind of cliche a lot of people a lot of hockey players get into the car dealership business but i got involved with a guy that i really liked uh he seemed like a really honest guy and he called me uh, about a year after i had retired and said are you still interested in getting in the business and i said yeah so let's get her going so it's still going and uh so, uh, you know, I, I, I probably should talk to him in the next couple of days. We like to talk once a week and uh, kind of go from there, but it's, uh, it's been, it, it, it let's, let's put it this way. It's been a pretty good
0: life. Where do you keep your Stanley cup ring and does it ever see your finger?
1: Uh, I, I, I never wear jewelry at all. I don't even wear a watch most of the time, but I do bring it out for charity events. So I've got the two cups, uh, or two rings, sorry. And, well, I'm not going to say it perfectly. It's just in the, it's just basically in the house in a place that you wouldn't expect it. Um, because half the time I'll put it down somewhere and then I'll go to find it. And I'll go, where did I put my ring? <laughs> and they'll go, where'd you leave it? You know, is it on the piano? Is it on the, you know, is it on the kitchen table? You know, it wouldn't be on the kitchen table, I guess, but, but I've put it somewhere where I've gone, I'll never forget it here. And uh, so, uh, but you know, it's uh it's kind of the way I am. I'm not uh, not big on the, on the flashy stuff,
0: right? I, I drive a truck. So
1: that's what I'm all about.
0: Well, listen, Jamie, I want to thank you for taking some time today to speak with us and uh, for just kind of reliving those, those flames glory days.
1: Well, I, I, hopefully they, uh, the fans you have uh, at least enjoyed themselves, at least part of it anyways. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I know it's, it's for me, it's, 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 it's fun to reminisce sometimes. The, the craziest thing is, uh, some of the people like yourself, you start doing research on a particular player and then you're remembering events that I'm that you say it. And I go, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's how that went. You know, cause <laughs> it's been so, it's been so long. And, uh, and people bring up stuff all the time. They'll bring up goals that I scored and stuff. And I'll go, you know what? I, I don't even really remember that goal. It's just, and I joked that I scored so many, right? But I didn't score that many. But uh, it's just, uh, you know, I, the way all the teams I played for were team first, and uh, I think that's why I
0: was on a lot of successful teams. Thanks for listening to I One Two. This podcast is produced by Ed Miller. It's available wherever podcasts are found. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can follow us on Instagram at i12podcast. Until next time.